You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's the end of what has been a tumultuous week in South Africa's history. And there's been lots of people talking about lots of things and there's been all sorts of theories coming out. But let's get down to basics here and let's have a cold, not cold, but a clinical look at what has occurred and what might occur in the future. I received a piece from the Capital Markets Division of Intellidex in London, penned by Peter Atta Montalto and his team. And the headline was the following, The Long Insidious Tale, Cock-Up versus Conspiracy, Policy Response Now Looms. I'll just read you the first uh, couple of sentences. It says, We are now into the long tail, as the peak in looting and general mayhem is replaced by a more insidious phase focused on arson and infrastructure sabotage in mainly KwaZulu-Natal. It goes on to say, Attention now turns to what next, and pressure is going for a fiscal loosening, which is justified. The situation is far from stable, the article goes on to say, particularly in KZN. With me now, the author, Peter Attard Montalto, speaking to us from Intellidex in London, uh, actually out on the road in London. But, uh, Peter, when you first saw this unfolding, did you ever realise that it would be as quite as dramatic as it has turned out to be? So, I think the problem last week, if we think about what happened with Zuma handing himself over in the end under a lot of pressure, particularly a lot of pressure from armed police uh, moving in on Nkandla, was one, dealing with South Africa never wants to go down the instant route of mayhem, civil war, the Zimbabwe scenario. There have always been so many doomsayers of South Africa who have always wanted to jump on that since '94. Um, for their own reasons and their own biases and without necessarily the greatest of analysis. And so, yes, one was cautious to begin with. But no, I think one was always aware of the potential problems, um, the security structures around Zuma. And I suppose this was a challenge. I remember we talked a lot together through the state capture years about what was going on. And it was always a challenge then to sound credible, to sound... Uh, you know, not like delving into conspiracy theories on state capture, etc., which turned out to be true. Yes. Uh, and that's always been the challenge of South Africa, I think, and and why I think a lot of people, and myself included, underestimated the potential probably through the end of last week. Yes, well, you've got people, you've obviously got very many contacts in, in South Africa. What is your understanding as to who was behind it, who were the instigators, and how it spread so quickly and how so many people became involved? Have you any clues? So I think we we do understand and know that Zuma has this broader, sprawling network, um, which he set up as president. As president, he worked in a very informal style, might be the right way of putting it, surrounding himself with a broad array of advisors, um, a broad array of his own security people, independent of SSA, albeit they became sort of integrated, intertwined um, eventually. Um, and, and I think we knew those people around him and that they had various motives. There are connections into organized crime, um, various uh, mafia um, uh, influences in, in Kaza, etc. Um, and I think that's really what's going to bear. But drawing clean lines around this kind of thing is very hard. Um, you know, these are shades of gray, ultimately. Um, you know, <laughs> trying to construct an org chart um, of who was involved exactly when, I think, is probably quite a a futile exercise, but we, we know there are people involved with, with ulterior, ultimately um, political, but also s- sort of self-enrichment 
um, motivations. Self-enrichment is one thing, but that's also linked to power. It also le- leads uh, in your flowchart to the the idea of destabilizing the current regime and uh, ousting President Ramaphosa and putting in either Zuma won't come back, obviously, but maybe a Zuma faction sympathizer the next election or even in, in between now and the next election. I mean, that's a fanciful, a fanciful theory, but does it have any credibility? So I think the this comes back to the sort of cock-up versus conspiracy issue you alluded to in my title of my, my piece. There is a huge amount of cock-up here. Uh, in terms of the way the security service, or less, sorry, less the security services, the way the police acted on the security services um, advice, um, the role or, or, or lack of action from the uh, from the police minister, uh, etc. Um, but what I think we can say is that there are people uh, in the broader political economy, particularly in KZN, who value the informality, basically, in terms of structure, in terms of uh, rule of law, etc., uh, and whose interests in that sense are are aligned um, with uh, with Zoomers. Uh, I think if we think about it, the, the core of people probably involved, as far as we understand it, the conversations we're having uh, with various interesting people in the province, uh, you know, the actual core of people who are specifically doing this specifically to get Zoomer out is probably very, very small, actually. Um, but there is a broader set of people, I think, who have certainly felt the implications of the Ramaphosa administration, the, the turning off of the taps, um, particularly in SOEs, but, but much more broadly, um, and to, uh, who want to fight back against that, basically. Okay, let's go to policy response now, because that's the last part of your title. Policy response now looms. You say, as I said, I've said it before and I'll say it again, attention now turns to what next, and pressure is growing for a fiscal loosening which is justified. What form could that fiscal loosening take, or should it take? So the, being an analyst at this time has been quite a, amusing in a sense. One can <laughs> abandon one's previous, you know, um, predilections quite quickly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, two weeks ago we were saying, you know, it shouldn't open the fiscal taps. You know, we need to get on with consolidation, all the rest of it. And all those dynamics are still true. There is still a lack of long-term fundability of a, of a large state in South Africa. The impacts of this um, current crisis on uh, long-term potential growth might even reinforce that. Um, but in the short term, we are very lucky. South Africa has had a commodity terms of trade boon. Uh, it's sitting with 412 billion of cash uh, at the end of June. Um, uh, the trade, uh, the uh, budget balance for June was much larger than expected, about uh, a surplus of, of 60 billion, mainly on mining taxes. We think for the full year there'll be about 45 billion more uh, in mining taxes and royalties than was forecast in the February budget. So there is money to spend, mm. and it should be spent. And we, I think it's fine. I hold up my hands in the air and say, fine, I changed my view on two weeks ago. But, you know, we need a social support mechanism is the most urgent thing that actually aligns at the same time with the COVID spending that's required that the government's been far too slow on as well. We shouldn't forget there is a COVID crisis as well that requires uh, an economic policy response that we haven't seen yet. Uh, so, yes, extension of the COVID grant, I would think, would kill two birds with one stone. Um, I think we need to see then um, some kind of support for reconstruction. Uh, some of that can happen off balance sheet. Um, we need to see uh, UIF um, uh, be able to extend unemployment support for people who are now outside of, uh, of employment, who's, who's bi- where businesses have been shuttered, uh, maybe permanently. Um, and, you know, I think the other flip side of that is we need to see a lack of cuts, actually, um, pushed down, particularly into KZN. Uh, which would have probably otherwise have happened in the MTBPS. But this is the big challenge. You know, do we need to cut elsewhere to afford this? And I think the answer is still yes. 
um, to afford a fiscal stimulus now uh, it is a useful time, both strategically and in terms of long-run sustainability, to, for instance, not pay an increase in public sector wages uh, through the gratuity and, and various other things, uh, jury-pokery that's going on on that front. So we should take a nuanced view, I think, of how uh, any stimulus to support the recovery here is, is undertaken. How do you think Sir Ramaphosa has conducted himself? Because my view, from uh, viewing from afar and looking at uh, international television rather than South African local television, is that he's been rather underwhelming. In fact, around about 10 minutes ago, I was watching CNN and the CNN reporter uh, stuck a microphone in his face and said, um, what do you think about citizens taking matters into their own hands and, and protecting their own property and the property of the community? And also, why were you so slow in your response? He answered the first part of the question, uh, albeit a little tentatively, but the second part he completely ignored. What's you, your view on the president? I mean, I think we, we've had these discussions before, right, in terms of the reform program and his tentative reaction to the reform program. I think a lot of this is baked into the way he takes advice, um, his general personality, etc. Uh, and, you know, fine if you have a well-functioning economy with a well-functioning state without riots. But, you know, when you have riots, the key lesson from, you know, globally, even the London 2011 riots, etc., is you have to react with incredible speed and incredible force in terms of numbers, not necessarily people shooting people, uh, to get the thing under control. And it's ultimately about expectations. It's about not allowing impunity to be felt. And I think that was the core of the problem, uh, was allowing a sense of impunity uh, for looting, uh, etc., to to go on. Uh, we can obviously analyze all the things such as, you know, with, uh, intelligence was acted on, etc. Um, the deeper problems that he doesn't have the right people around him, the, the sheer incompetence of many people in his security security cluster. Um, but no, I mean, I think at the very core of it, it plays into a much wider risk aversion. Now, people push back on me and say, you know, well, it could be massive loss of life, etc. Um, it could inflame racial tensions. Um, and, and that's definitely a, a risk. But at the same time, if you've shown a huge show of force with 25,000 odd people on the ground straight away, those racial tensions may not have come up uh, as quickly uh, or in the same way, actually. And one can argue it from the from the reverse side. So, I mean, one one, you know, having studied this a lot in the last week, I think you know, one has to pick one side. And I, I do think ultimately he made the wrong choice. I'm going to a paragraph or rather a section of your excellent piece now. And it's, the headline is damage. And I think this is this is incredible. Uh, you say the following, we think investors still don't really get the scale of what has happened. The numbers below should start to hit home and have been collected from credible industry sources. And it says here, national retail, 5 billion rand cost, 800 non-shopping centre shops looted and 100 stores burnt out, 200 shopping centres looted and majority destroyed. In the Durban economic zone, that was a national number, by the way, Durban, um, 1.5 billion Rand's worth of stock lost, 15 billion damage to property, 50,000 informal traders affected, 40,000 businesses affected, 150,000 jobs at risk, 1.5 million at homes without incomes, and Durban GDP impact 20 billion rand. And you're shaving, as a result of this and many other uh, uh, metrics, you're shaving 0.7% of South Africa's GDP for the year. It's, it's staggering. I think this has been the real initial failure, actually, of the media locally, has been to not communicate scale. Um, and, you know, I've been trying through source contacts, through people on the ground to get a sense of this. And I think this has been the problem. It's, the scale is absolutely unbelievably overwhelming and the speed with which it has happened. 
And I think that's the number one takeaway from this. And to scare people, that this unbelievable scale happened basically on Monday-ish. I mean, there was a day either side or so, but basically on Monday. Um, and, and I think that that is just shock, completely amazing. It's completely shocking. Um, and those numbers, I think, that the Durban numbers come from the Durban Chamber of Commerce. Um, I think they will probably be rise up-ish. Um, the housing numbers have to come in as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the, one of the best pictures actually, uh, is of, um, an interchange, uh, outside industrial park in, in Durban with basically probably three, 400 cars abandoned after the army had moved in and started shooting, you know, um, the, the, the scenes there are just, are just completely as I think I, I heard one person on, on international news actually say, uh, you yeah, know, completely post-apocalyptic and, and, mm-hmm. you know, it, that's not meant to be sensationalist. I think it, it's required to get a sense of economic impact and to get a sense of social causation and, and, and those sorts of factors that can lead to such scale at such speed. Peter, what I want to do is uh, follow this up next week and see what happens over the weekend because I want to talk about the wider issues that you're watching, particularly with reference to fiscal and monetary policy response. See what happens over the weekend and we can follow up on this. But for now, you've given us an awful lot to think about and investors should really have a listen to this and, and, and sit down and just reevaluate those statistics that I've just read out courtesy of you. That's Peter Atod Montalto speaking to us from London from IntelliDex. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.